Well, really good to see all of you. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, this is a Discipleship Now weekend. And so we, first service, we had students everywhere, and it was great to see them. And uh, for all of you who are joining us online, for all of you who are here, we're so grateful for the opportunity of being able to worship together and to open God's Word. And when we talk about D now, it's really Discipleship Now. And really, that is what Jesus has called us to do. So I'd just like to ask, how are we doing with what Jesus called us to do? You remember, after he's been resurrected from the dead, he made appearances to his disciples. And on one occasion, recorded at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he gave us what is called the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And it says this, that Jesus came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what I want you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus has called us to do, to make disciples. And I'd just like to ask... How's it going? How do you actually even really go about making disciples? I mean, what what does that even mean? Because there's such a lack of clarity on this, the the word is used all the time, disciple-making, discipleship. But it's actually rather confusing as to what that might be. And so since many churches, they're like, I'm not sure what that means, so what we'll do is we will reinvent and create a meaning for it. But when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, he didn't want for us to like go figure it out on our own to make it up, whatever we might want it to be. We are to do as he has asked us to do. And so you and I, if we are a follower of Jesus, we not only experience his salvation, we're following him in discipleship and we are involved in this ministry. So if you are a parent or a grandparent, you are a spiritual leader. If you are involved in a local church, like Fellowship Bible Church, you need to know we are called to make disciples. And so what is your strategy? Well, your strategy needs to be exactly as Jesus did with his men. We don't have to try to make it up. It's not uh, something that we need to invent. It's not something that changes with generations. Actually, the pattern is given to us by Jesus himself, and that's exactly what you find Paul practicing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Well, I want you to think right now of someone that you're investing in. Maybe you're involved in a ministry. You're meeting one-on-one with someone. Perhaps uh, you're a parent or a grandparent. Uh, I want you to be thinking about what is your strategy. If someone asked you, well, how do you make disciples, what would you tell them? Would you give them a blank stare and say, you know, let me give you, this is how I'm approaching this. If you are a parent, the strategy that Jesus gives us and that's modeled here by the Apostle Paul, I would tell you is the finest strategy you can have for parenting. Karina and I are far from perfect parents, but what I'm going to present to you from this text has been the pattern that we've tried to follow. And just as a spiritual leader, this is the pattern that I've sought to follow in my ministry. And so what are the practices of a thriving disciple maker? Well, we'll find them, first of all, in verses chapter 2, in 1 Thessalonians, verses 7 and 8. The first practice is this, 
It's caring from the heart. In fact, I'll say this, that if you cannot care from the heart, your opportunity of being of influence and helping people grow and develop, it's going to be very limited. Because remember what discipleship is. Discipleship is the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. And you've got to be able to care from the heart. Look what Paul did. Verse 7, he says, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Now look at the language that he uses here. He says, we were gentle among you. The word has the idea of being kind, but it really opens up a host of virtues. It speaks of acceptance, respect, compassion, tolerance for imperfections, patience, tenderheartedness, loyalty. We were gentle. So often you think about leadership and influence, about power and domination, but that's not spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is grounded in the ability to love, to care from the heart. He says, we proved, we demonstrated that we were, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That image of a nursing mother and spiritual leadership, you might like, how does that work together? I want you to know that's exactly the imagery that Moses used of leading the people of Israel to the promised land. He was leading them tenderly like a nursing mother with her children. And if you think about it, and I've been reading through like numbers, the people of Israel were griping, belly aching. They were always making life difficult. They were like, we want to go back to Egypt. They were looking to overthrow. They'd make golden calves. I mean, these people were extremely challenging to lead. They were always fighting the leadership. They just simply wouldn't submit. They, they were easily abandoned God, and they easily would confront and just be in the face of their leaders. And yet he said, I tenderly led them. So what does that look like, to tenderly care? It actually even speaks of to like warm with your body. And that's the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is demonstrating. And when you think of nursing mothers, think of this. The nourishment of the mother becomes the diet of the child. Whatever the nursing mom is digesting and eating, if it's good and healthy, it's going to be a blessing and have a lot of real good implications for that child. But if it's junk food, unhealthy, or poison, whatever the mom is taking in gets passed on to the child for good or for worse. And he says, we led like that, like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Verse 8, having so fond an affection for you. I've got that underlined. Take a look at that. That's the heart of a thriving disciple maker. It's not showing how smart you are or how much information you have. It's that you actually care about people. What does that look like? Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, or it could be translated our very souls, because you had become so very dear to us. You see, their ministry was rooted in love. Love is a way of life. It wasn't just that they were giving some good sermons or had some good messages or a good teaching. 
but they actually cared for people from the heart. Caring relationships, love as a way of life, that was key to their ministry. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing. If you want to make sense of Jesus' ministry, highly intentional, but it is all rooted in love. His serving, his caring for them, his teaching them, his washing their feet, his praying for them, his willingness to die for them, it's all rooted in love. So great is God's love that it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What moved God to have his son, the eternal son of God, enter into humanity, enter into time and space, live a perfect life, die as a perfect sacrifice on a cross, and rise again? Love. And that very same love not only draws us into relationship with himself, that's the kind of love that God is seeking to manifest through his people. Because we're called to make disciples. That requires that we are caring from the heart that we have so fond an affection for you. So let me just give you a few practical points on caring from the heart. First, the language of males is respect. To be able to express that you care, that you hold value for the other person, that you look them in their eyes, that when you come into a room, you greet all of the guys, that you extend your hand, you shake them, or in today's culture, maybe do a little elbow bump or whatever it is, but you demonstrate and communicate, I respect you because the moment you disrespect another male, this is like guy to guy, you have yourself an enemy. If you want to make disciples, men, you've got to have the ability to show respect. And for women, for women, they work best. In fact, they thrive when they know that they are unconditionally loved. It's not that like uh, you just condone everything that they might be doing, especially if they're doing something wrong, but that you are a safe person. You love them. You care for them. You're committed to them. When a woman knows that she is unconditionally loved, she thrives. So for all of you guys who are married, if you want to see your wife thrive, you might want to write this down and live it out. God help me to show unconditional love. You see, if we're going to disciple people, this isn't information uh, dissemination. It's not just dumping a bunch of knowledge on people. What we need to do is learn how to care and connect at a heart level. And, and friends, this is challenging. It's, it's easier just to kind of keep everybody at a distance, right? In fact, sometimes you do keep everybody at a distance because you run the risk of getting hurt. When you care like this, you're, you're running the risk that people are going to probably not express a lot of gratitude. They may actually walk away from you and hurt you or leave you. And I mean, I want you to know it's extremely painful. Have to live through this. It's probably one of the hardest things about being a pastor that actually cares and loves your people. It's like sometimes it's like walk away. We're on to another dog and pony show. Or what you realize though is that if I'm going to be effective, if I'm going to have influence, I've got to be able to connect and show that I care from the heart. And as you're connecting at a heart level, you need to know this. You have to take an interest in people. 
interest in their lives, their family, their work, their ministry. And one of the most important ways to demonstrate care, and I would believe this is kind of a lost art. My wife would agree with me. It's the ability to ask good questions. I am surprised at how few people ask good questions, or in some cases, ask any questions at all. If you want to express care, ask people good questions. Enter into their lives. Because thriving disciple makers are caring from the heart. Let me give you another trait that Paul highlights. And this is exactly what we see in Jesus. And that is that we are communicating truth. So you're not only caring from the heart, but you are communicating truth. Look at verse 9. For you recall, brethren, that our labor and our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of god he says you remember that when we came to thessalonica we worked night and day we actually use that same phrase it's not the idea that they were working 24/7 but they were we were always working working night and day some parts of the night some parts of the day and the work that they were doing we oftentimes think of paul as a tent maker, right? Uh, Actually, it could be better translated leather worker. Many of the tents were made of leather, but leather was used in a variety of different clothing uh, pieces, tools. And so he was a leather worker, and he learned this trade either from his dad or when rabbis were, were training their students, their Talmudim, and Paul had been trained by a rabbi, If they didn't have a skill that they could use to make a living, they were trained in one. Why? Because you might be teaching in areas where there wasn't support for your ministry and you had to put bread on the table. You needed some skills beyond just being a spiritual teacher. And so he says, you know, when we showed up, we were not a burden to any of you. You see that? What we did, we didn't want to burden any of you. We were working night and day, but I want you to know why we were doing this so that we could proclaim the gospel of God to you. We did this so that we could communicate truth. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news, right? So what exactly, though, were they talking about? Let me just give you some of the major points of emphasis in presenting the gospel, the gospel ministry. They would be emphasizing the authority and the truthfulness of Scripture, Certainly, the Apostle Paul ministered to Jews, but by the time he hits places like Thessalonica, a lot of the folks that he is teaching and talking to are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. They have really no understanding of the scriptures of the Bible. So he would demonstrate and show them and teach that the Bible, the scriptures that God has given, they are truthful and they are authoritative. He would also speak of the deity of Jesus and his incarnation, speaking of the eternality of the Son of God, that he is both fully God and truly human, and that he has entered into this world, and he died a death, an atoning death. He paid the penalty for sin. And he would also speak of the sinfulness of humanity, because there's no real need for a Savior if you don't see your own sinfulness, right? And you don't have to look too hard to find out that you have missed the mark. We don't really love God. We do our own program. We disregard what he says. We violate even our own conscience. All of this shows us our need for a savior. And that's what he'd approach, he would speak of when he was bringing the gospel of God. He would speak of Christ's death and his resurrection and that salvation, 
True forgiveness, relationship with God, is only through faith. You can't earn it. You can't work it. It's not about being good. It's about being a person who trusts God and takes him at his word. You demonstrate and live out faith. Your faith is in Christ. And one other element that he emphasized, this gospel of the kingdom, is that you and I who are called into relationship with God to know forgiveness, we are called into a discipleship relationship into his kingdom. We are kingdom people, and Christ is our king. And this pattern of communicating truth, this is exactly what Jesus did. You see him giving sermons, telling parables, having Q&As, interactions, just having discussions, asking these guys questions. It was all for the purpose of communicating truth. And that's what we do as well. If we're going to make disciples, as Jesus did, we must be communicating truth, the truth of God's word. And you see that even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, how important it is that it is the word of God that is the basis of helping people grow mature in Christ. It's not that you're just talking or you're passing on your favorite ideas or how you think you should handle things, but you're giving them truth. So you're building trust, but you're investing in people's lives with the truth of God's word. So if you want to be a thriving disciple maker, whether you're being a parent or a spiritual leader, you want to be connecting and caring from the heart, you want to be communicating truth, let me give you a third, a third practical emphasis, and that is that you are coaching for growth. Look at verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 10. You're coaching for growth, and this is how you do it. You do it by embodying the message. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, You are witnesses, and so is God. He says, You know how we live. We model this for you. But here's the secret of integrity so is God. It's not that you are just living your life in front of people, you recognize as a believer in Christ that God knows all things about your behavior. He knows all things that you are thinking. Your life is lived with integrity before the living God. And Paul says, under the power of the Spirit, not only were you witnesses of how we lived, so is God. And look what he says, how devoutly, which speaks about that we are set apart to God, that we lived a holy life, we acted responsibly and uprightly, speaks of the fact that we were upright in our dealings with people. We treated people well. We weren't manipulative. We weren't running over people. We weren't domineering. We treated people with integrity, uprightly, righteous, and blamelessly how we behave toward you believers. Our conduct toward you was above reproach. You couldn't put a handle on something in our lives. Friends, this is how you coach for growth. Your most important leadership skill is to lead by example. The most effective way to lead anyone is to lead by example. Because people learn a lot by watching it in action. Now, you know, leading by example, it's not, you can't do this like, do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that? Okay. I remember the first time I heard that. 
it was in sixth grade. I was on a basketball team, and we had this coach, and uh, he knew a lot about basketball, but he wasn't really good at playing it, okay? And so he had all of us sixth grade boys, and we're standing there, and he's like, he was giving us a lecture about our bad shooting, and I'm terrible, so I still have never improved, but he's like this. He said, if you will do just this, you take that ball, you see that square on the backboard, if you hit the corner of the square, if you do it every single time, the ball is going to go into the basket. You know, and I, you're, you're looking at that, and he goes, and he says, watch me, you know? And I don't know how he did this, but he got there, he was standing just like right in front of the basket, like where we're supposed to be, and somehow... <laughs> He threw the ball up there, but it must have had way too much force. He hit the square, but somehow the ball didn't go into the basket, you know? And we're like, <laughs> he's like, well, do as I say and not as I do. I'm like, well, how does that work? You know what I'm saying? Now, that's kind of funny, and that's sixth grade basketball. But that doesn't work in life as a parent, as a guy or a gal who's managing folks at work, and certainly not as a spiritual leader. You lead by embodying the message. You lead by example. But furthermore, he says, look at verse 11. You're coaching for growth not only by embodying the message, but by encouraging maturity. Look at this. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And now he's going to the imagery of a father encouraging and engaging his children. You are encouraging maturity. And notice the words that he used, like exhorting. By the way, all the words that he uses are in in the Greek in the present tense, meaning this was an ongoing way of life. We always were doing this. This wasn't just kind of a one-time deal. We were always, first of all, exhorting. The word has the idea of coming alongside with instruction and an insight. It's to give courage. It's to you is exhorting them to, to actually move forward in a manner that is pleasing to God. And then he uses, the next word he uses is encouraging. You see that in verse 11? To give emotional strength to. To encourage humility and gratitude. I want you to know that encouragement is so critically important to disciple-making. I read um, years ago of this fanciful tale of the devil who decided that one day he was going to actually put his tools out uh, for public auction. And, um, you know, he was kind of putting out his array of his sharpest and hottest darts, but there was one particular tool, and it was just evil-looking, kind of this twisted major gadget. But he had put a sign next to this one tool And he said, not for sale. Of course, people that all came to the auction, they're like, whoa, well, what's that? You know, right? If it's not for sale, that's the one I want. And so they asked the devil, well, hey, what's that tool? That's the one that I want. It's not for sale. And he's like, I can spare other tools, but I cannot spare this one. Because it is so very useful to me. In fact, it is the most effective tool that I have. I call it discouragement. And with it, that particular tool, once I use discouragement and work someone over and delve deep into their heart, once I use that tool, I can plant any seed that I want. This tool 
is not for sale. This tool is mine and mine alone. And friends, I want you to know, that's discouragement. That'll get you to have your knees buckle. It'll be getting you to think thoughts that you never thought you would ever get to. It'll cause you to get discouraged to go to despondency. It'll cause you to want to give up, to think that there is no hope. Does God have a remedy for discouragement? Absolutely. It's his presence, his Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit working and moving through his people. Well, how does that work when his people take on the ministry of encouragement, to give courage and faith and life to people. And I want you to know, every single person needs encouragement. Every single person that you know needs encouragement. The people sitting next to you, although they may be smiling, I want you to know they need encouragement. And what does that look like? I mean, you might be one of a few. For some of the people in your life, you are the only person that could reach out with encouragement. And so what you do is you, you listen to them. You tell them you're for them. You care for them. You pray for them. You pray with them. You tell them, I'm standing with you. I am for you. You are in the game. I know it's tough, but I am with you. You're going to make it. Hang in there. I am, I'm absolutely for you in this. Just a little bit of encouragement. You're taking the next steps. Yeah, I know you took some hits back there, but you're going to move forward because our God is at work in your midst. If you could take on the ministry of encouragement, you will transform your relationships. It is one of the most powerful tools that you have as a disciple maker, and that is to encourage. And then notice what else he says in verse 11. We were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. This is how fathers, true fathers, really behave. They're exhorting, they're encouraging, and imploring. That has the idea of to challenge or to give a charge. As people are working through their maze of emotions and problems and circumstances and the uncertainties, you implore them, you challenge them to take the next steps, to trust God. You're alongside them. You're making good progress, and there's the next step. This is where you're at, and you can do this. God in you can do it. And imploring is needed. One guy wrote this, My most painful experiences have been when I have had a problem, and no one loved me enough to tell me about it. That's where imploring comes in. A true discipler, a true spiritual leader, a true parent, you actually care about individuals. You will challenge them. You will even step in and say, hey, listen, I think you're about to make a serious mistake. Let me give you a, a proverb on this. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. And it simply says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You always know who your true friends are because they will love you enough to tell you the truth, right? But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You ever heard this phrase, oh, that person is just kissing up to the coach or the boss? That's where it comes from. It's the whole idea is they're just saying whatever they want because they don't really care about what's really accurate, what's really true. 
They're just in it for themselves. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You will always know who your true friends are, your legitimate friends, the people that really care, because they will tell you and care for you enough to tell you the truth. They will love you enough to tell you what's even difficult. I mean, think of a father. No loving father would allow, neglect his children and their safety and walk into something that is hazardous or even fatal, right? Absolutely not. And so it is with spiritual leaders and disciple makers. You care enough about people to tell them even the difficult. And I find that uh, I've had to do this on numerous occasions, not only with my own kids, but in lots of people that I have the opportunity of influencing, people I'm discipling, people in our church. And it's difficult, and I'll, this is what it looks like. You see that this person is just about ready to destroy their life or the fact that they are in a present pursuit of things that are going to be disastrous for them, their family, their career, their testimony. And I'll just tell them this. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to hurt. You're not going to even like to hear what I have to say, but I care enough about you to tell you the truth and to help you. I think you're just about ready to step on a landmine, and it's going to disfigure you. And you go ahead, and I want you to know those aren't necessarily comfortable conversations. You go through a lot of calories. You're trusting God with every breath and every word. But if you love people enough, you are willing to do the hard thing, to implore them. And by the way, that's what Jesus did. He actually was always coaching for growth. He was embodying the message, but he was also encouraging growth. I mean, discipleship is really a lot like parenting, okay? And so you would see Jesus, like he was always praying, and he prayed so much, and the disciples really didn't pray, pray a whole lot. And so they actually asked him, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, would you teach us to pray? Because we see you praying all the time. Or remember in like Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent, out, sent them out the 12. And he sent them out to preach the gospel and to do healing. And after that, then in the next chapter, he sent them out the 70 to do that. You see Jesus modeling an absolute obedience to the will of the Father. And they saw this. It, it was so powerful how it was always about, I must do the will of the Father. And the climactic uh, event of that is when he's willing to go to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. I want you to know that kind of leadership had a significant influence on his men. He taught them how to live, how to teach, how to live by faith, how to serve, how to wash feet. He was coaching for growth. That is the essence of his ministry. And let me just give you some practical pointers on coaching for growth as a disciple maker. I want you to think about this as a parent. I want you to think about this as a ministry leader in our church, as a disciple maker. Maybe you're meeting with someone one-on-one. -on -one. This is what it looks like. You, uh, it's, first of all, it's much more organic than it is organizational. So often we think like, well, we just got to get this giant checklist and we'll just kind of go all these things and just kind of put a little notch here. I think they've covered all this and we'll call it good that they are fully mature because they've knocked off all these check marks. You need some organization, don't get me wrong, but it's really a lot more organic. It's just that natural relationship. And when you're discipling people, you are going to have the opportunity of dealing with felt needs. They're going to surface. Felt needs like character issues, relationships like with their spouse, their kids, their parents, forgiveness issues, work issues. These are going to be some crying pains. 
And they're going to surface as soon as someone realizes, hey, you actually care about me? I, I trust you? Hey, I got something that's really tearing me up. And they're going to tell you about it. I'd, I'd say working with a lot of guys over the years, for the forgiveness issue, oftentimes forgiveness of their dad comes up pretty quickly. Those are felt needs. But there's also what you want to do as a disciple maker is help them develop a strong foundation so they have stability and gravitas in their life. You're looking at foundational needs, like understanding what does it really mean to be in Christ, that your identity is not in your career or in your success or how much money you have, but your identity is in Jesus and Christ lives within you. You help them understand the importance of personal time with God, like in prayer and being in the word. Don't take it for granted that they're praying or even ever read their Bible. Show them and talk with them about the importance of knowing Scripture, of having doctrine, knowing what is true so you're not just being beat up and whipped around by every wind of doctrine that's out there, that you have what is called the ability to be discerning. Help them to understand the importance of giving, having health in their soul, confessing sin and, and knowing what spiritual fruit is as you're trusting in God and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you want to give them skills for ministry so that they could share their faith with a family member or a coworker, that they do know how to be useful in helping people grow and mature in Christ. These are foundational needs. This is what you invest in. You look for those opportunities, or you be in, you're intentional about saying, here's a few things I'd like to talk with you about. I'd like to cover with you the importance of like finances, and you inject those things. Or it's best when they start asking questions like, hey, what do you do about this? But that's what you're doing. You're not, you're not trying to create a smarter sinner. What we're looking for is God to bring transformation into their lives. And he does so through his spirit, his scripture, and his saints, his people. That's where you and I come in. And sometimes you're going to train them through their failures. All of us know failure. I, I certainly do. And failure is an opportunity to grow, to learn some life lessons. You're going to see that, that God oftentimes uses our failures to build bridges of hope in Christ. Do you remember, like the disciples, they failed sometimes. Remember when Jesus is coming off the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that? And uh, he's got a couple of his disciples, and they encounter the other group who were down there doing the ministry. And remember, it didn't go so well. They couldn't cast out this demon, Right? And they were being mocked and ridiculed, and they just were like really upset. And they, when they ran into Jesus, they're like, what happened? How come we couldn't do this? And Jesus said, you know, this is going to be a real teachable moment for you guys. Remember that prayer deal we talked about? This kind only comes out through prayer. You, you need to be spiritual if you're going to be involved in a spiritual ministry. And so he used their failure to teach them, and they learned. And that's what we do. We help people grow and mature. One of the things that's going to be important if you're going to be a disciple maker is you have to move past being a personal success to being a person of significance. You have to move past like, well, it's all about me and being successful in my little job or my little life with my family, or I'm seen as a success, to get to a place in your relationship with God where, Lord, I want to be used by you for influence, for significance. I want to give myself to help others grow in maturity in Christ. And never underestimate the power that you can have through the Spirit of God in a person's life. You see, lives investing in lives is how a church thrives. If you want to be a thriving disciple maker, what, what did Jesus do? 
What is the Apostle Paul doing? You're caring from the heart, you're communicating truth, you're coaching for growth, and finally, you're commissioning with vision. Look at verse 12. He is doing all of this, verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Who calls you is present tense. God is always calling us to live in the realm of his kingdom where Christ is king of our lives and we're living for his glory that we would walk. Literally speaks of your way of life, your daily decisions, because we are always being pulled to do the wrong thing, to live for the here and now, to forget about God, just focus on your own personal success. And God is always calling us to live in the realm of his kingdom where we're focused on Christ the king and his kingdom advancing. And he says, that's the vision, where Christ is reigning in your hearts, and I am commissioning you. You see that? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you in his own kingdom and his own glory. That's what every parent wants. Every parent is casting vision for their child. We want you to walk with God, we want you to become fully functional, and we want you to live for his glory and his kingdom. There's a guy by the name of James Pletterman. He wrote a book called Leading Across Culture. And he writes about his experiences of working at a Christian camp as a high school kid. Now, if you've ever worked at a Christian camp, you know that there is a ton of work. Not a lot of pay and very little free time, and you're going to learn the value of hard work. And at this particular time, at this camp, they were building a house that was going to house a staff member. And so that's what happens. You, you work really hard before all the campers get. They were building a house, and so they were out there digging the dirt and digging all this sand, and they were spending the whole day at it, and it was really hard work. And these high schoolers, they were sweaty. They were tired. They had developed these blisters on their hands. And you know how it is when you just don't want to work anymore and stuff? It was toward evening time, and they just were like... This is terrible. I wonder what my friends are doing, you know, like hanging out at the beach, you know, or at the lake, you know, or sitting in their backyard, and they're just kind of sitting around. And he said they were, they had, this camp had a really good leader. His name was Hiram Johnson. And Johnson kind of came over to check on things, how we're going, and he just kind of watched for a little while as all these high school guys, you know, they got flipping a little dirt around, but pretty much just kind of standing around like this, you know, just waiting for the sun to go down so we can go sleep or something like that. And he uh, called the guys all together, and, and he said, hey, listen, I want you to know that this, this house that you're building, it's going to be really helpful for the camp. And they're like, <laughs> not sure I want to be that helpful for the camp. But then James writes this, and he said, he told, me, told us something that I have never forgotten. And this is what, he, this, what Hiram Johnson said. Your shoveling will in the long term be used by the Lord to bring many kids to Jesus. And all of a sudden, it started clicking one by one by one. All of a sudden, they started picking up their shovels and they started working with a whole new gusto because he said we realized we weren't just shoveling sand. We were building the kingdom Friends, that's what visionary leadership does. 
You're not just a student at school slugging it out. You're not just a college student trying to make it. You're not just a mom trying to raise your kids or a guy or a gal in the workforce just slugging it out at a job. You're not just retired, just kind of waiting to find out what else you might be able to fill your time with. I want you to know you have been commissioned with a vision. What is that? To walk in a manner worthy of God. You are in his kingdom and you're living for his glory. That's what a disciple maker does. You cast the vision. Life isn't about you. It's about Christ and his kingdom. And so we are caring from the heart. We are communicating truth. We are coaching for growth and we're commissioning with vision. And remember that God never, ever calls us to do something that he never equips us to do and he never gives us the power to do. We have the power of his presence. I can assure you, this is what God wants us to be doing to make disciples of all the nations. So just for a minute, I want you to think, who are the people that have invested in you that brought you to this moment? Some of them might be sitting by you, maybe even right next to you. Some of them are a long ways away. Some of them are in heaven. But I want you to be thinking of them right now. I'm thinking of a few. I thought of one even this morning. You thinking of them? Think about just how immensely pleased they would know that they made a difference in your life. And while you're thinking of them, I'd like to ask you this question. Will you be a difference maker in another person's life? Will you be a disciple maker and make those investments? You see, lives, investing in lives, is how a church thrives.